Gumbo listeners, we are back with episode number 130. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and today I speak with Mark Tuong, head of product marketing at VMware. And Mark has been in the high-tech industry for over 25 years in many different product leadership roles across cloud computing, enterprise software, personal computing, consumer electronics, and semiconductors. In his current role, he owns a portfolio of solutions from well-established product lines with 30,000 plus customers to brand new cloud and SaaS solutions. He currently spends most of his time on disaster recovery and data protection as a service, hyperconverged infrastructure, and cloud-based storage. In this episode, we discuss the sophistication of ransomware and protection mechanisms, breaking the kill chain, and advice on implementing disaster recovery. So let's get right into this episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Mark. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, Demetrius. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. It is a new year, and we are definitely trying to to get a, a hold of uh, ransomware. We're trying to wrangle ransomware, especially in 2022, since the, uh, 21 was a there was a ton of coverage around different ransomware attacks, et cetera. So, but before we dive into ransomware and some of the security risks around protecting data. Why don't you maybe give us a, a little background about yourself and also uh, what you're doing right now over at VMware? Again, first, really glad to be on the uh, show with you. And uh, I'm currently uh, leading the product marketing efforts around VMware's overall cloud storage and data solutions. And a big part of that is working with uh, our disaster recovery, our data protection solutions. And yeah, really can't talk about that space today without talking about ransomware. But uh, overall, I've uh, spent well over 25 years uh, in the tech industry. Um, I've covered a lot of areas, including you know, cloud computing, enterprise software. And then uh, I have my days back in hardware and silicon and consumer electronics as well. Wow, that's a, that's a very varied background and great expertise in order to to dive into a conversation like ransomware. Uh, let, let's take it from the top. And I've done tons of ransomware episodes, and, and hopefully this one will provide some new insights for our Gumbo listeners. Uh, but first, let's start off with the new sophistication, some of the different types of attacks that are happening nowadays. And just from your perspective, what are you seeing and hearing around different ransomware variants and just the sophistication overall of ransomware? Yeah, um, I do get that question because uh, I feel like even when I walk into customer meetings, right, it comes up. A few things that I would highlight, uh, even just in the past 12 months or so, one, you definitely hear about the double extortion that's taking place now. I think the VMware security team a year ago, even in that survey, we were already seeing 40% of respondents saying that the double extortion was like kind of that new element that was coming in. So it's like you fast forward 12 months from now, I, I haven't seen updated survey results, but I got to imagine they're higher than that now. And so it's, it's interesting there because at least the data I'm seeing, you know, the time before the ransomware kind of exposes itself and goes off, you know, can be anywhere from two and a half hours all the way up to six months. Right. Right. And yep. we think that some of the reason why some of it takes longer, where they purposely 
kind of try to fly under the radar is, of course, so that they have more time to, to more broadly uh, infiltrate in order to extricate that data. But a point that I'd love to come back to later, though, is it's a, it's a bit of a double-edged sword for them because the longer they try to stay in there without being detected, obviously that increases their chances for becoming detected as well. So that, that, that's a very interesting mm-hmm. dynamic that's going on. Uh, so th- that's one. I think another one that I would say is that just the ecosystem, it's, it's almost like there's a whole ecosystem that's now developed around ransomware where the, these ransomware gangs will seek after expertise where it's like, okay, hey, this group in my gang is good at credential theft. This part of my gang is good at developing the malware. This group is good at developing the encryptors and decryptors. So there's that specialization that's coming on. I'll mention a third. There's others as well. But a third is, of course, the sophistication of the defense evasion techniques that they're now employing. The analysis that uh, our security teams have been doing is that modern malware now, on average, uses 14 different defensive evasion techniques. Wow. Okay. You know, so... Yeah, so all of this indicating how this is becoming more sophisticated, but uh, I don't think it's all bad news, though. Uh, you know, we should talk, I'm sure we'll talk uh, as we continue about the good news here of how companies can effectively take some very impactful steps, right, in right. order to combat this threat. Yeah, and let's let's go a little broader here just to overall disaster recovery and re- remember the RTOs and RPOs, recovery time objectives, recovery point objectives, and also the three, two, one rule, right? Of backups, making sure you have three different copies and on two different types of media um, in in a different pl- location. And maybe I'm getting rusty on that myself because it's it's been a while. I've seen different different variants of that as well. Three, two, one, three, two, one, one, four, three, two. I don't know. There's quite a bit nowadays, but what do you see as maybe some of the newer security risks around, you know, like ransomware protection and also malware and also how customers are thinking about protecting their data today versus the way they used to protect their data maybe 10 years ago when everything was on premises? Yeah, so let's unpack that. There's quite quite a lot there. I think the first thing is that for that IT professional, you know, that is responsible for the availability of the data, the apps, the services, there is a fundamental shift in mindset because I believe with things like ransomware, the playing field has, has changed compared to how we used to think about disaster recovery. Uh, here's what I mean by that, right? I mean, in the past, uh, when you knew, uh, no, normally thought about disaster recovery, you were trying to plan for things like natural disasters or a metro-level power outage or something like that. And so in the case of a lot of those natural disasters, one, you had pre-warning. You're like, yeah, we know a hurricane's coming. Yeah, we know a storm's coming, a flood might hit. And then even with the events that didn't have pre-warning, like, like a power outage would happen. Maybe it was because of an earthquake or something else caused a widespread power outage. The, the point of when the disaster took place was very clear. There was no ambiguity about that. And secondly, you had no malicious actors actively working against you, right? Sometimes it was just Mother Nature, right? But it wasn't like Mother Nature was out to get you. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
I agree. So um, those assumptions now no longer apply when you're talking about ransomware because you've got active bad actors going after you. You don't always know when it hit, how, how widespread it was, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what I mean by the mentality, the thought process all has to change because the playing field has fundamentally changed. Yeah, right. And let, let's talk protecting, you know, th- there's a lot of companies now that, that have virtual machines. And I remember when, when VMs were not as big a as not as big a thing as it was now because data protection, backup, and recovery was a market where we were primarily dealing with infrastructure, hardware, uh, physical servers themselves, and we would, you know, purchase tons of physical servers and make sure that we actually had the uh, duplicate amount of servers in another data center, right? And so there was a lot of hardware cabling, and you had to worry about things like power and cooling. So uh, let, let's talk about recovery. So if ransomware uh, does happen to infiltrate a customer's environment or someone's environment, what do you think are some of the key requirements for recovering from ransomware with, with some of the sophisticated threats that are happening today, Mark? Yeah, great, great question. Um, even before I dive into recovery, if, if I could just pause and paint the broader picture for a moment, sure. You know, I end up spending a lot of time now with the VMware security teams, mm. like with our Carbon Black team, uh, with our VMware NSX team, because you know it really does require a holistic approach to have a robust ransomware protection. The area I cover in terms of recovery. Super important, don't get me wrong, but we've been out there talking about how you got to have an approach that helps you deal with identifying, preventing, detecting, responding, and recovering. Okay, And so that's where um, the solution that we're trying to deliver, uh, including key components like VMware Carbon Black, VMware NSX, and VMware Cloud DR, bringing all those together helping customers with that holistic approach. So that, that, that's kind of what I would say is the overarching. Now let's talk about the recovery part. Key requirements in today's age, right, with ransomware, with, with natural disasters and everything, a couple of things come to mind. One, let's talk about table stakes. You got to have that deep history of immutable copies. The stat I cited earlier, where that ransomware could be there for six months before it shows itself, you better have some clean copies going back at least that far. And immutable, making sure that that ransomware can't go and encrypt it and uh, corrupt some of those clean copies, right? So that's number one. Two, automation at scale, recovery automation at scale is critical because you've got to eliminate as many manual steps as possible, okay? Because that's a, a huge source of why DR plans and recovery plans fail. Is, is there any, any recommendation specifically for those who might be looking to go down a journey of, of autom- automating a recovery process around this? Is there any recommendations that, that you can provide for that? One, uh, to me, that's one of the key differences between kind of using a backup solution versus using a disaster recovery solution. Because with a backup solution, right, it, it was most of them were built for a very different purpose, which is like, hey, this particular file got corrupted for a variety of reasons. I got to restore a handful of files, a handful of virtual machines. Not a big deal, right? 
But to me, disaster recovery is about like, wow, my whole data center went down or half my data center went down. You can be talking about dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of, of hosts or virtual machines, and you cannot do that manually. Right. The scale is just astronomical. Exactly. And, and, and when you think about, because at the end of the day, it's really not about getting a few virtual machines back up and running. Mm-hmm. It's about getting your critical uh, applications and services that you need to run your business back up and running. And when you think about the applications, they oftentimes are multi-tiered, multi-layered, have dependencies across different parts. And so part of that automation, you have to have that runbook ability to say, okay, in my recovery step, these VMs got to come up first. Maybe it's my active directory or my databases, and then the next tier needs to come up. And at that point, you got to wait for this step, for this X something else to kick in, and then you finally start up the fourth set of applications, right? If you try to do that manually, you know, your chances of success <laughs> go yeah, down dramatically. Yeah. Th- those are all great points. And I, I apologize for interrupting you, but uh, n- number three uh, on-, on the ransomware <laughs> recovery side of the house. It's a perfect segue. <laughs> it's a perfect segue. Uh, testing is key. You must test and you must test often because during the natural course of business, your environment's going to change. So if you don't test, you, you don't know that it's going to work. And you must also be able to test in an isolated environment as well. So you're not disrupting your production data center and, uh, you know, operations. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. And then just the last two I would highlight, uh, the, the fourth one specifically for ransomware. Even with the state-of-the-art security solutions, that help you try to identify what's the best copies to restore from. Um, I've not talked to a customer who says, oh yeah, we'll just take the first recommendation from the security solution and we'll just deploy that into production. You know, clearly not, right? There's a security policy. You have to evaluate it against that security policy. In many cases, it's not clean cut where it's like, oh, clearly, Let's just restore the recovery point from Tuesday at 12.52 a.m., right? You probably end up with a window of you're like, okay, I think my best recovery point is somewhere within this six-hour window, two-day window, you know, depending on your forensics and, and how bad the attack was. And so you probably still have, at a minimum, a handful of recovery points that you need to evaluate and put through your security checks. And so the ability to iteratively and very quickly evaluate those points is critical. Yeah. Right. right. You can't afford to wait hours or even days to wait to copy data, rehydrate data, et cetera, et cetera, before you could evaluate one recovery point. So you've got to have an ability to do that super quickly. I agree. I agree. One hundred percent. Yeah. And then the the last one I would just mention is, you know, um, we all can benefit from leveraging the power of the cloud nowadays. And so um, an on-demand DR model where you can pay for your recovery infrastructure when you use it, as opposed to just always kind of having it sit there idle, completely changes the economics. Right. And an on-demand model where they, uh, customers can tap into um, maybe spinning up resources uh, when they need them. Yes. Right. DR is the ultimate rentable 
IT use case. Mark, I just wanted to dive into a little bit deeper and maybe around, is there any, any, is there any compliance and, and regulation advice that you would like to give? Um, and not necessarily around ransomware, but just in overall data protection and making sure that that customers' data is safe and maybe giving any insight around uh, a highly regulated industry like financial services or or healthcare um, so they could actually comply better with, with some of those regulations? Obviously, in highly regulated industries, you have the industry-level compliance requirements. What I often see, though, is that you know the leading companies take that as kind of table stakes, and then they even add on additional requirements that were developed by their internal audit teams because they know how damaging it can be to their business when they even just have minutes or hours of downtime. So I find that their internal regulations can oftentimes raise the bar even higher. Now, with something like this, I feel a little bit like I'm stating the obvious, but it's like advanced preparation is key. So making sure that a good ransomware protection plan obviously starts way before something actually ever happens. But where I've seen our customers really see some value out of what we're trying to provide to them is in all of the steps that we take from the definition of the uh, DR test plan to the testing of it to when you actually do a failover or a fail back, we want to make it really easy to produce the documentation artifacts that both the internal or the external auditors will want to see in order for them to sign off and say, yep, okay, you're, you're in compliance. So that's one of the biggest challenges we hear back, which is not only doing what you said you're going to do, but helping them with the documentation to prove that they've done it. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. And just also moving in, in the same direction of, of ransomware, and we, we, we hear immutability a lot, and we also hear air gapping, which is, is something I'm sure that you are familiar with. Can, can you maybe give the Gumbo listeners uh, maybe some of the key elements of, uh, I guess, continuing to isolate uh, the different environments that you're trying to protect uh, the environments that are storing the crown jewels. Can you give insight around around that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, super important. Really glad you brought that up. We talk about the criticality of having operational isolation or, or operational air gapping for your DR systems. We really kind of break that down into two main areas. Uh, first, you want to make sure that your DR system itself is operationally isolated. And um, we could double click into that some more, right? One, uh, making sure that the file system in which you're storing your, your precious replicated copies and recovery points, that there's not a way for that ransomware to be able to get at it and encrypt it, right? And, and that's why you don't want to leave it on just like common file shares or things like that in which anything could get at it as soon as it has administrative access rights, right? And, you know, even like the replication transfer protocol, you want to make sure that that's secure. Mm, okay. I, I don't think about that one. 
Yeah, yeah. Additional yeah. steps that you can take, right? Because oftentimes, you know, the first thing that ransomware will do is, of course, get access, administrative access to your environment. So, you know, making sure that your privileges and how you manage the privileges for your DR system are separate from your kind of production environment privileges. Uh, so that if they break into the latter, they're not going to just automatically now get access to the former. That kind of all falls under this umbrella of operational isolation okay. of your DR system. Awesome, awesome. And just, um, I think I, I remember reading, what was the, the latest debacle around ransomware? I think it was Log, LogForge. Yes, yes. I, I've, I've actually been hearing that from some recent cu customer conversations where uh, that's definitely a concern for, for folks. Yeah, it's still spreading. And I, I'm still reading articles where the fallout is, it's a, it's a mushroom effect. I'm sure that APIs play a role in it and making sure that you have your, your APIs all locked down and you know exactly what's able to access those and doing things like, you know, MFA, multi-factor authentication, least privilege, zero trust, you know, all of these um, different types of simple things that, that you can do to lock down your environment and also train your users to, you know, not click on those emails. And we've been talking that for decades now right? Fishing. Absolutely. <laughs> but we're still, you know, we, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I think about it as like, um, part of the most effective, uh, data protection ransomware strategies is about being really good at those basics that you were just talking about, Demetrius, right? Patching, making sure you have accurate asset inventories, uh, applying least privilege defense in depth, because if you don't have those basics down, it's kind of like the foundation of your pyramid, the foundation of your building is weak. I agree. And are you seeing anything with some of the artificial intelligence and machine learning humbug that you know everyone's jumping on and uh, providing some innovation around? You know, that's more automation. Are you are you seeing anything from that perspective? Do you have any predictions as to where? Uh, the data protection industry uh, will go uh, utilizing those technologies? I do believe that we're going to see continued innovation along that front uh, just because um, leveraging the power of a very broad set of data uh, where you don't have to learn everything painfully on your own just within your environment, but you get the benefit of what is happening across many different environments, right? There, there's clearly just power there. Uh, but but at the end, right, I, I see it as it's going to, there isn't going to be a one size fits all. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that any security team, at least in the near future, is going to just take some AI recommendation and be like, oh, yeah, okay, great. Push it into production, right? Uh, it'll complement the existing processes, make them better, make them faster. But there's still got to be that final assessment before I think you're going to risk your production business of, of what you push back into production. Got it. Okay. So one, one or two more questions for you. I am truly enjoying the conversation with you here. One, one question that I am curious of, and I, I like to go high level from a persona basis, just maybe speaking to a CIO or a CISO or even a CTO, 
um, out there right now. They might they might be on the fence with making a, a purchase of a solution where they can actually uh, maybe help reduce their cost and also to help their teams just protect data more efficiently and to kind of set set up their environment where their team is, is just working really smart across kind of the overall organization. Do you have any any insights or recommendations just, you know, from a high-level executive board member uh, perspective to convince them that they need to make that that investment, they need to make that that purchase in order to uh, keep their environment safe and secure? Yeah, I, I do think there uh, are significant opportunities to better leverage the cloud for this uh, very important business need. Uh, some of the you know, analyst projections that I've seen state that within a few years here, you know, 50% of the on-premises workloads will be backed up, both for backup use cases, DR use cases, I, I kind of lumped this all together, we'll, we'll be using the cloud for uh, protecting uh, those, those on-premises workloads. So I, I believe that the trend and the shift there um, is very clear because it delivers a lot of those things that we've been talking about. It, it enables on-demand. It, it, it makes it very easy to create an isolated environment for testing and recovery. Mm -hmm. It makes testing a lot easier, right? Your, your uh, uh, costs, your total cost of ownerships go down significantly. For all those reasons, I believe, you know, you're gonna continue to see that shift. And also uh, being able to leverage a as a service solution, a DR as a service frees up that CIO's precious IT resources so that they are defining the DR policies and operationalizing them, which is super important for the business, instead of spending a bunch of time trying to make sure that the DR software itself is working and managing configuration drift and compatibility and all that other complexity that had made DR so painful in the past, right? So I think the combination of leveraging DR as a service that takes advantage of the unique capabilities of the cloud is where CIOs are going to be able to dramatically improve their data protection capabilities without feeling like they somehow have to stand up you know, and invest like a, a ton of additional funds. All right. I love the insight. And before I let you go, do you have a, a book recommendation or what, what, what's Mark reading uh, today or yesterday? Oh, man. What are you reading? Well, well nowadays, uh, maybe it's because I'm uh, coming off of uh, uh, two weeks of being on break okay. and so just really enjoying the wind down. Mm -hmm. So uh, my uh, a guilty little pleasure here is when I get a chance to pick back up a uh, fantasy or a science fiction book, okay. right? So it's it's not about improving my leadership or improving my IT and technical <laughs> skills. It's just picking up a book, curling up in front of the fireplace, and just having some fun. Wow, wow! Some someone I, I had on an episode. Um, it's a future episode, and they mentioned they were reading Dune. Ah, an oldie. That, Probably the, that, the movie is, is now out, right? So re, yeah, re, re spurring that, interest. Yes. That is correct, and uh, I. I have to go back and watch, uh, what is it, Baba Fett? <laughs> We've been watching that over the break, too. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I do not appreciate that they are only releasing like one episode and it's like really short. And it's like, wow, can I, can I just 
like binge on this thing, like from now to uh, two or three hours from now. Uh, so I am the kind of guy that likes to wait until most of the episodes have already dropped. Yeah. Because I'll, I'll go through a season uh, like in, in a day or two and I don't have the patience for, you know, one one episode per week, which it's a thing now. Yes, yes. They definitely hook you that way. Uh, my binge watching over the holidays was uh, Wheel of Time. Mm, you know, okay. I've never read the books, but uh, binged watch, episode, you know, season one. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think I watched that as well. Wheel of Time. Yeah, it was it was really, really delightful. I, I enjoyed that one as well. Um, so, yeah, I think we are up against time now, Mark. And I, I... Demetrius, can I just leave with one more comment? Sure. I, I feel like sometimes when we talk about ransomware, it could come across as all doom and gloom and, oh, my gosh, you're going to be attacked. I just want to leave on a positive note. Yeah. Right? There, there is good news here uh, for, for all of us uh, as IT professionals, which is it only takes one mitigation step to break the criminal's kill chain. Mm. Right. So, you know, if, if you're able to get them and break that kill chain at the initial access or when they're trying to execute or when they're trying to, you know, do privilege escalation or lateral movements, you know, et cetera, um, it, it's if, if all you need is to catch one of those steps in order to significantly reduce the impact to your business. So I just want to leave with that good news at the end of the, you know, at the end of our conversation here. We appreciate the good news here. And is, is there a maybe social media handle that you, you want to share? Uh, how can the Gumbo listeners maybe follow you or reach out to you in the near future? Yeah, well, I personally am most active on LinkedIn. You know, whenever I, I write my blog or so, I usually push it out through there. So uh, Mark Chuang, uh, look for me uh, on LinkedIn and would love to connect with any Gumbo listeners out there. So Mark, it's definitely been a pleasure to have you on the Gumbo and I have really uh, rosy glasses on for 2022, even though we were uh, talking ransomware, but you, you, you brought the sunshine back to the full front with uh, it's not all doom and gloom, but we just uh, need to equip each other and provide information like we do on data protection gumbo, um, some of the right ways and insights on how to keep your environments protected and safe. So thanks for appearing on the show, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. I, I, I love what you do with this podcast, Demetrius, you know, sharing insights uh, among us all so that we can actually help each other. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.